Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On tonight's show, you'll have our second edition of the week of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdowns of everything happening in the Division I college tennis worldwide. Two editions of this episode this week. Well, it's because this weekend we've got the ceremonial, the symbolic start to every college tennis weekend as the 2024 ITA kickoff weekend approaches. Of course, for those of you college tennis fans less familiar with what this weekend entails, we've got 60 of the best men's and women's teams in the country spread out across 15 different regions, all of them competing for a spot in February's National Indoor Championships. Over the course of the next two days, what we want to do here at Crack Rackets is help prepare all of you college tennis fans for that action. Run you through all 15 of the women's and men's regions we have on the schedule this week. It is worth noting also here at the top, we're going to be covering 21 of those regions across our Crack Rackets broadcast. Some of them on our Crack Rackets its YouTube channel, others on ESPN+. Plus. If you are a fan of a host school that plays in the SEC, ACC, or Big 12 Conference, you'll be able to see those schools compete Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday on ESPN+. Plus. If you are a fan of a Big 10 or Pac-12 school, you'll be able to see those teams compete on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Obviously, we are so excited to be able to provide this sort of spotlight, this sort of platform platform for college tennis to shine on, as my dear friend John J. Parsons so aptly put in our earlier episode of The Deciding Point this week. You can put me on mute. I got no problem with it. But as a college tennis fan, we do ask you, please tune in. Please open up that broadcast. Let's prove to ESPN Plus that college tennis is a product they need to be interested in moving forward. Also, you've got that ESPN Plus for your Australian Open subscription this month. It doesn't end until the end of the month. Guess what? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, all those days, still in the month of January, your subscription's going to be good. Come check out our action. Again, it starts Friday. Friday, I believe 10 a.m. Eastern Time on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on ESPN+. After that, about 10 a.m. starts the rest of the way. You can find graphics with our schedules on our various Crack Rackets social media channels. That said, again, the purpose of this podcast is to prepare all of you listeners for the upcoming action. And on tonight's show, we're going to break off 
excuse me, break down the 2024 ITA Women's Kickoff Weekend Regions. And joining me to help do so is a man who joins me each and every week on The Deciding Point, as I am so fortunate to be able to call him my co-host. Of course, you all know him best as the returning champion of returning champions here on our Crack Rackets podcast, founder of the No Ad No Problem blog and podcast, and our dear friend, the man who will be burdened with making the predictions tonight. It's John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. Kickoff weekend is finally here. How are you feeling, my friend, as we gear up for the action? Well, I'm excited. It's always the ceremonial start, although I think the women this year gave us a massive weekend last weekend to whet the appetite a little bit, but certainly seeing the 60 teams in action and all across the country. If you live anywhere near a campus, you should definitely check it out. Just the cross-pollination that you have across the different conferences. It's an exciting weekend. You learn a lot, and it typically kicks off a lot of storylines that then snowball throughout the rest of the season. You mentioned it. We've had some results that have caused movement in the rankings already. And by the way, on tonight's show at the end, we're going to get into our first regular season edition of our Crack Rackets Top 10. Six voters all turning in their votes to me. I guess I'm one of those voters, so I turned it into myself. But we've accumulated all the rankings. We have our Top 10. Jay actually doesn't know our Top 10, so I'll break that down for all of you listeners. And then, of course, again, uh, we'll compare that to what the current ITA Top 10 looks like as well. Before we get there, though, we got 15 regions to break down for all of you tennis fans. I have divided them into categories to help make things easy. Are we going to predict, preview every team, every match? We will not, but Hopefully, after listening to this podcast, you will have a gist of the action you need to follow, the scoreboards you should be watching, both the round one and round two matchups you should be looking for, as well as some names that some players that are certainly going to be determinative to the outcomes we see unfold over the course of the next weekend of play. I guess that's the framework. My brain is mush. Look, Australian Open kickoff weekend. It's a great time to be a tennis fan. That's why we're excited to break it all down. That's why I'm excited to have John J. Parsons on the show with me. Unfortunately, we're not on YouTube yet. 21 host sites. That's why we're not on YouTube yet. Super producer Daniel Westoff, he's got to prepare for the weekend. So when none of you complain Friday through Monday about the clarity of our coverage, that will be why you shouldn't complain these next few days about the fact we're not on YouTube yet. That's coming next week. That is a blood oath to all of you listeners. That said, John J. Parsons, let's get into it. 15 different regions for us to break down. Let's start with a group of regions I call the I'll pay for the cameras regions, the regions that as a college tennis fan, you just, you will be scoreboard watching. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. The question is, will you If you're in the distance, make the drive. I'll make the case you absolutely should. Obviously, if these sites have cameras, you're going to be tuned in. One of these three regions, for what it's worth, going to be a part of our ESPN Plus coverage, and we'll have their first match, a very exciting match, on Friday that I'll talk about in a moment. But let's start with with what, in my opinion, is the blockbuster region on the women's side it's a site that has already seen two, four, three matches this year. If that was an omen of what's to come this weekend, buckle up, tennis fans. It's the Oklahoma region, hosted obviously by the Sooners, the Sooners National Indoor Finalists as recently as 2022. We're back at the final site last year, round of 16 NCAA tournament. They have a tough, tough 
field of opponents to face. And look, by ranking, they got teams ranked 32, 34, and 39 in the year-end edition of last year's rankings, which of course are what the base of the ITA kickoff draft is all about. In June, these teams pick where they want to go. Just a reminder of how these regions are determined there. I think that's a fair enough synopsis. This is who Oklahoma was dealt. Yes, the number 32 team. That number 32 team is Cal, a team that the core of which has been at a national indoor final site as recently as 2022. Yes, they got an upset last year by San Diego, but El Sol is back. Weirsholm's back. Villermoller has this massive fall. There are a lot of pieces to be excited about a Cal team that, again, the best pieces you are certainly already familiar with. Of course, beyond that, you've got a really frisky Illinois team, a veteran-laced, dare I say, Illinois team, Jay, which, again, for those of you less familiar with the Illini, I know they weren't a top, you know, they didn't disrupt the hierarchy of Michigan, Ohio State that we see at the top of the Big Ten. But this is a team that's been in the NCAA tournament, a team bringing back players like Megan Husser, Katie Duong, you know, even da- lower down the line of players like Traber and Frazier. There's just a lot of experience in that Illinois lineup. And indoors, they are going to be a tough out. And then maybe the toughest test of all is the team that, I'm going to be honest, I don't know the names other than Sophia Biolle, uh, but UCF got a really impressive win in week one, uh, weekend number two, excuse me, of the season. A result, of course, we break well, we broke down on Tuesday's podcast when they beat Georgia Tech in pretty decisive fashion. I love this region, Jay. Obviously, for Oklahoma, some new pieces they are working in. Shishurbina, Arushia, freshman Chloe Noel, uh, the transfer Ava Cantanzarite, who we all saw in action, two really tight 4-3 losses against hosting teams in Ohio State, Michigan, last weekend. You have that taste in your mouth going into this weekend. That's probably the best thing for coaches Cohen, Cobra, the entire staff, to motivate the troops to be ready this weekend. But I think this is number one on the list, Jay, because there's not a single bad team in the region, and all th- uh, four matches, first rounds, consolation final, championship match, they all kind of have NCAA tournament implications. Jay, I'm fascinated by this region. What stands out to you? Yeah, I have it written down as one of the toughest regionals, no doubt. I think there is one other region where just within ranking and level, I would say sure. the teams probably are much closer, but... What's interesting about this region is, you know, uh, these regions are picked in June. And when we saw these happen, you might not have thought this was going to be as tough. I would actually say as time has gone on, this region has gotten tougher. Even just in the last week, you referenced the UCF win over Georgia Tech, which was a shellacking. I'm not sure they dropped many sets in that match. Cal, they had some players who had great falls, Villermoller. Uh, Valentina Ivanov is back in that lineup, back on the roster. Illinois just played a very close match against Duke in a match that was within their grasp of winning. They ultimately lost that match, but an Illinois team that has been teetering on number three, number four of the Big Ten. So it's going to be a very tough region for Oklahoma. The thing that you favor if you are Oklahoma is that weekend that they just played. As you mentioned, this is a more battle-tested team than a few of these other teams. Cal hasn't played a match yet. Illinois has gotten some reps in. UCF got kind of one rep in, but they've played on those courts. Those new 
people that are in that lineup that you listed have gotten familiarity of being on the Oklahoma courts, playing inside. Cal's not an indoor team, so UCF is certainly a more outdoor team. But yeah, this is every single match, as you mentioned, both the Constellation matches here are all going to be excellent. Yeah, I mean, again, the big thing is it is indoors, and you wonder how that impacts this Cal squad, who, by the way, beat A&M at the indoors two years ago, so we've seen it at least. Uh, what's fascinating is, and what has this reach and higher on my list, not only the fact that I think every team is good, not only the fact that what Coach Kenyako and UCF, who were in the round of 16 as recently as, what, 2021, I want to say, at the NCAA tournament, that that group did get a good win over Georgia Tech is one thing, but I want to see how Oklahoma bounces back. This will tell me a lot about where we should put them moving forward because they're going to get two good matches. There is no cupcake. You got to come out of the gate swinging. By the way, this is a UCF team. We talked about the Cal impact of indoors. UCF ain't playing uh, much indoor tennis either. Worth noting, as we looked at the submitted lineups, I haven't seen the approved lineups, but submitted lineups, Donna Guzman, who played four and three singles, in her first two matches of the year. She's already up to two for this Oklahoma lineup. If you listened to me on Tuesday with Jay, you know I anticipated that move coming. I I don't think that's a shock. They're going to stick with their doubles lineup, who were pretty good, by the way, over the course of this past weekend. I mean, again, doubles points are going to be critical for this Oklahoma squad because, yes, I know there was a comeback against them, obviously, in that Ohio State match, but that's going to be really difficult for these teams, Cal, who you're a little less familiar about five and six. You know, again, I'm just unfamiliar with all of these UCF pieces. If Oklahoma can go up 1-0 at home, in theory, you like their chances. Jay, what are you watching for most closely in this region? What's your prediction? Who ultimately advances? Well, not to rub it in, but I have seen the uh, approved lineups after protest submissions. Uh, Guzman's still at two for Oklahoma. What I'm looking for for this Oklahoma team in particular is the rebound at one and two. We talked about this earlier in the week with Shershabina and Arushia, who go 0-4 in their opening weekend. That can't be the case here if they want to advance two indoors. That's what I'm looking for with Oklahoma team. With the UCF team, they have freshman Olivia Linzer there at number one. This will be one of her big debuts in college tennis. Cal, I'm curious about the depth. They also have new pieces. Mal Mashika, who is a freshman, uh, being a factor now in that lineup. And Illinois, I kind of think I know what I'm going to get with them after seeing their match against Duke. Ultimately, I lean Oklahoma here. This is a situation where it's at home. I think that helps them significantly. It's indoors. I think that also helps them. And they're battle-tested, as I mentioned earlier. So I lean Oklahoma to get through this, but I think they scrape and claw their way through it. That Cal-Illinois match has four hours written all over it. Illinois grinds, and Cal's not afraid to do that either. So, again, that's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a fun region, unfortunately not one we have in our coverage, but 1J is taking the Sooners to advance. I imagine the region you were alluding to from a top-to-bottom talent standpoint, rankings-wise, levels-wise, etc., probably the one that features four top 25 teams. That's the Tennessee region, which, of course, will be a part of our Crack Rackets coverage. Tennessee hosting Miami, USC, and Vanderbilt. Now, again, 
again at the time of the kickoff. Tennessee was 14. Miami was 16 with the first pick. They elected to go to Tennessee. USC 25, Vanderbilt 30. You look at the rankings right now, Vanderbilt holding on to that 25 spot despite their loss last week. Uh, Right now, you look... uh, USC is at 18, Tennessee is at 17, uh, and then your last team in this region, Miami, is currently at 21. That's who I was missing. Uh, Anyways, four top 25 teams, one region. It's a pretty good start for college tennis fans to enjoy. Tennessee-Vanderbilt, the in-state rivalry, has just a round one kickoff weekend match overall. That script sells itself. But again, lot of new pieces across the board for, honestly, all of these teams. And again, on paper, who's the best player in the region? It's Alexa Noel in Miami. You know, All-American finalist, obviously, top 10 player in the country. We know what Alexa Noel brings. After that, do you go Vanderbilt, CB Moore? Do you go who's the deepest team? Probably Tennessee, one through six with all the options they have. But then again, on paper, Han, Charney, Chung, Cayetano, if they're all playing their best, we still don't know what the best version of USC looks like. Feels like we haven't gotten that because of health or various different reasons for the last two years Yeah, this is a fascinating region. Again, I would pay for the cameras myself. I don't have to. You can go watch it on ESPN Plus, Jay. What fascinates you most about this one? Well, this is the sort of region where any one of these four teams could advance, and you're not shocked. Whereas when we talk about the Oklahoma region, you lean Oklahoma, but you go, gosh, this is going to be really tricky, really dangerous. This region in Tennessee, any of these teams could advance, and I'd believe it. What I find very interesting, not only are these teams – right now all ranked pretty bunched up together they all have very intriguing relationships with the kickoff weekend (laughs) so if you look at vanderbilt last year they go on the road they knock out nc state then things (laughs) turned in the opposite direction miami got upset in the kickoff weekend last year by Iowa State, and that sort of uh, unearthed that season-long Cinderella story we saw from Iowa State. USC had a fantastic kickoff weekend two years ago, went on the road to Georgia, really struggled in that kickoff weekend. So both all of these programs have very fascinating relationships with kickoff weekend. And it's a tough call to make. I think right now... I lean actually USC with some of the experience they have throughout. They have Aaron Cayetano playing down at five, which is a big surprise, but not entirely unsurprising as well. But yeah, I haven't seen enough of Tennessee. They have a lot of more new pieces in in their transfers from Iowa State. Miami, Alexa Noel, definitely the best player in this region, but I don't know if they have the depth. Vanderbilt, I don't trust a lot right now. USC has probably the most known quantities for me in this region. Are they the most known because they're the most unknown? You saw them individually, but you haven't seen all those pieces together as a team yet in a way. Maybe you've seen Tennessee, Miami, Vanderbilt yet? No, I actually disagree, right? Because you have – who did we see last year make the run to the Pac-12 final? It was USC with a Nohan – Aaron Cayetano, Emma Charney, Naomi Chung, Grace Piper. Those are five players that are the same faces that they're going to be rolling out in this. I don't think any of these other teams 
have five pieces. Vanderbilt has two freshmen that they have in that lineup. Tennessee has a whole host of new transfers in there. Miami has transfers. So actually, from a continuity perspective, it's USC. That's a very good argument to make. Quick fun fact. I just think it's a cool thing to point out. Four female head coaches in this region. Allison Ojeda, Paige Twos, Allison Swain, and Aliki Subanos. It's pretty cool to see. Speaks of where this sport has come. I love all of these rosters for various different reasons. Again, I love the depth that Tennessee has. That Adashina's listed at seven. Like, I know Esther Adashina can come into the back half of a singles lineup and win a match. As I alluded to earlier, you can make the case Miami has the best player in Alexa Noel, although it will be interesting to see her back indoors in this Tennessee match. USC, same thing. They don't play a lot of indoor tennis. How are they all going to adjust here indoors? Man, that Vanderbilt lineup, CB Moore indoors. Like I feel like she could just straight up beat anyone indoors with the weapons she possesses. Yeah, it's hard. Again, there are no clear paths to four in any permutation of these matches. And by the way, all NCAA implications, you go 2-0 and this weekend, you are feeling very strong about your chances to make a top 16 push coming out of the opening month of the year. Tennessee faces Vanderbilt first. I mean, again, talk about a contrast like in strength on strength. Vanderbilt, you maybe like Stammel and CB Moore at the top a little bit more than Tennessee's options, but down low, you probably certainly like Tennessee there, and they played close matches last season. Miami versus USC. You know, Bach Collins is now listed at six for Miami. Like, if that's the case, I want to see what that singles lineup looks like. Is there a reason for that, or is there some chicanery afoot, Jay? <laughs> Give me predictions for. All three main draw match. Honestly, all four matches. What do you think we see? I think Tennessee beats Vanderbilt. Mmm, spicy. Well, we not this at is a home, Vanderbilt team. But it's just like again, how far they've come sans Kayla Cross. You mean how far they've fallen? Yeah, exactly. I guess oh. fallen. I think I said <laughs> okay. come. You're right. How far they've yeah. fallen. <laughs> Uh, but also this Tennessee team, they're fighters, and they played a lot of battles with this Vanderbilt team. They, these teams know each other very well. Uh, I lean Tennessee at home here. Miami versus USC, I think I like USC in a lot of those like two through five spots. I mean, okay. Miami wants to win six, so they've got Bot Collins there. But I like USC. Again, this is indoors, though, so it's really tough. Um, Tennessee versus USC. I'm going to call the upset. I'm going to go with USC, but mm. I do think playing at home indoors significantly favors Tennessee. But again, if Snow Han is healthy and Naomi Chung is healthy, like this USC team can absolutely do it. Well, and you feel like at some point they're going to do something. We'll have that one on our broadcast Friday, Saturday. Looking forward to watching those matches unfold. Last but not least, the inspiration for the title of this category, the Alpay for the Cameras region. I think Iowa State has to belong in this category, more so than hosts with questions to answer, which is coming next. Look, the single most fascinating match is the round one battle between UCLA and Oklahoma State. Obviously, Oklahoma State coming off of a 2-0 weekend at home where they beat Michigan, they beat Ohio State, saw enough in all portions of their lineup to feel really confident. Spoiler alert, I had them over Stanford. I put them at number two in my top 10 this week. I mentioned on Tuesday's pod, that's how good I feel about the Cowgirls right now. 
But they've got the Bruins, matchup number one. And look, you can throw out that UCLA-Texas match because Texas didn't have a full roster of players. But on paper, Tien, Hans, Fernandez, Luke Meyer, Wagle, Guichard, I could be talked into that singles lineup, the depth there, the options they have on top, the best version of each of those players pushing Oklahoma State everywhere. Obviously, for Iowa State, they bring back Sopa Pete Kiram from last year's lineup. That's it. Six new starter, uh, five other new starters in the singles lineup. You know, I'll, Old Dominion would love to have startup Seva and St- Sasnaskaya yet back. You feel like if you give Dominilla that, he's got a top 16 team on his hands. We know some of the pieces, but, you know, again, new options down low now for Old Dominion. It's mostly about that round one matchup, Jay, but thoughts on this and how it all shakes out. Yeah, well, and it's also a heart references back UCLA's trip to Iowa State sure. Super Regionals in 2023. So they lost that match after going on the road and beating Duke. And here we are getting Oklahoma State versus UCLA indoors, you know, 30 minutes from the Iowa State campus. And we won't be able to watch it. But I think for me, this match decreased in interest once we saw what Oklahoma State did this past weekend, although it would be quite the turn of events if UCLA knocked them out and this is an Oklahoma State team that doesn't make indoors but I do think Oklahoma State gets through this region pretty comfortably it's indoors but I'm very curious to watch the Komar versus Fungrun well not watch but watch the scores of Fungrun Tien and Komar I thought Komar probably didn't give her enough shout out in our recap as she was excellent she's clearly a primetime player but Tien could potentially be the best player in college tennis, your NCAA champion. So that will be a fun one. But I think ultimately at that two through six spots, Oklahoma State, probably the heavy favorite. Um, so I think they get through this. I don't know if you're a big basketball guy, but you know how when an NBA star returns to his previous franchise, they give him a tribute video and it goes on the big board and everyone in the audience claps. Shouldn't Obi Kajuru get that in her return to Ames this weekend with Oklahoma State? Like, that's just like a subtle little storyline where it's like, hey, she's back in Ames, like a place where obviously she had all this success and was a breakout star last year. And you're absolutely right. You had that with the UCLA return, a place they lost in the NCAA round of 16 last year. But at least they do have that added familiarity of, all right, we've made this trip before You know, Oklahoma State, they play Iowa State every year in the Big 12, so they have made that trip before as well. Old Dominion, Dominell's team will go anywhere and be ready to compete. You're right. Like, Oklahoma State looked like the number two team in the country, as such you'd expect them to get out of a kickoff weekend. But you'd say the same thing about Duke last year when UCLA went there and beat them in a night match in weird conditions. Uh, This UCLA team just does, I'm going to swear, does like this. Where it's just like, that's kind of, that's their MO is you count them out and then it's like, oh no, we're UCLA. We're going to, we decided we're going to beat you today. What if they do that? Like we saw this team do that to a really good Duke squad last year. I think this Oklahoma State team is better than that Duke squad, but it's still really early in the season. Some of these players playing as a front runner, maybe for the first time in a position like this. You never know, Jay. That's why that's why it's in this region is I've seen UCLA pull off this upset in literally the last big tournament we had. That's why I had to put it in the Alpay for the cameras region, which, by the way, are coming to Iowa State soon. 
I think it's a really good point. I think also there is a potential for an emotional letdown from Oklahoma sure. State after what is absolutely a very emotional weekend to now knock off number what was it four Michigan and also take down Ohio State. Just the crowds they had out there, and they're going to be playing in what was a ruckus crowd, and now they're going to be playing in front of like very few people in indoors somewhere in Ames. And that's going to be a very different environment. And you, that UCLA team is absolutely going to get up for it. So you could absolutely see an emotional letdown. I don't think it'll happen, but I like where your head's at. You're taking the cowgirls? I am. All right. Let's move on then to I, our – oh, go ahead. I mean, that would just, that would just be crazy. I like, know. They, they but UCLA it. does that <laughs> sh- Like, they will do that. Again, no one has been more outward in, dare I say, criticizing the UCLA, both men's and women's programs of late, because they're the gold standard, and they haven't been what they usually are these last three years. But then every so often, they like to throw you a dagger. Like, no, no, we're still the Bruins, and this is one of their golden opportunities to do so. It's absolutely a golden opportunity. Yeah, and so, again— you're leaning Oklahoma State, not one we have on our broadcast, but one certainly we look forward to following the score lines of. All right, next category, hosts with questions to answer. That's going to be the focus of our breakdown. We're not going quite in, as in-depth as we did for the must-watch regions, but I want you to address the question I have for these hosts as we start with Texas hosting Florida State, SMU, and Baylor. It's just a vastly different Texas team than maybe what we expected when the kickoff weekend draft happened. Neither Nicole's there, no Rivkin, no Kieran. Obviously, they were ill last weekend, so you throw that out. But again, Zainalova, Sasnaskaya, Rapalu, Shavatapan, Pachkaleva, Uvrutsky. It's a really good six. It's a thin six, but it's a really good fit, uh, six. Who fits where? What's the doubles exactly look like? How long does it take them to get the rhythm going? It's an open question, Jay. I just I don't know what this Texas team's going to look like. And given SMU, I'm blanking on who they beat, but they did. Oh, they beat Vanderbilt. That's Vanderbilt. who it was. Yeah, they beat Vanderbilt last week. Florida State, Vic Allen's back, Scopes back, Arcadianu is back, Bissett is back. Like it's a sneaky solid team. They're all just solid teams. Like again, new faces at Baylor, but it's still Baylor. Florida's not going to fall out from underneath it. I think Texas has an open question, Jay. What's your biggest question about them heading into it? Oh, I thought you were going to give me a question. No, I guess uh, my question <laughs> is, am I right to feel so uncertain about the Longhorns right now? Given, again, we know that talent, but I just need to see it play together. Yeah, there's been a lot of departures, as you talked about. We still <laughs> don't have Charlotte KP from Australia eligible. She's not listed in the kickoff lineup, that freshman. So, yeah, there's a lot of open questions. And I think the big question for Texas is, what is the level of everyone right now? Because we really haven't seen it. Is Shavatapan going to have a great senior season? Is Avrutsky fully healthy? And is she going to be a solid six for them? Or is that going to be a weak spot? Is Pashkaleva taking tennis very seriously. What's her level? Like, we just really haven't seen a lot of these players in a very long time. I mean, that Zainalova match against Van Grantia was the first time we had seen Zainalova since May of 2023. Now, she looked good against Van Grantia, close two-set match, but I have no idea what the level is for this Texas team right now. Yeah. Do you think they get through, though? I do. I think they are the benefactor of 
not the hardest region. But look, I think SMU is going to be very frisky. I think that they have, we talked about this, they have scheduled extremely tough. They're not going to be intimidated by this Texas team. And they're going to see this as a very good opportunity to potentially advance to indoors. Well said. Again, Texas, very, very solid. Um, we know the faces. We got to see them all compete together. And there's going to be a desperation for this Florida State team. There's going to be a desperation for this SMU team. That's a really fun first round match, by the way. Uh, big NCAA implications for both as they want to make a push back towards the top tw- uh, 25. And just get up there in the rankings if you're going to flirt with the top 16. It starts this weekend. Obviously, Texas hosting there. I was chuckling when you started your answer. I promise I am going to provide a question as we go to our next host who I have a question about, and that host is Duke. And I'm going to be blunt. It's the first weekend of the season. There's a lot of college tennis to be played. This is a loser-go-home sort of match for me in terms of top eight implications. Not top 16. We got a lot of conference play. Plenty of tennis, again, still to be figured out. But if you want to be a top eight seed, in my mind, it starts this weekend for two teams, Duke and Auburn, who happen to be in the same region. Duke hosting Auburn, Denver, and Princeton. Now, again, Denver and Princeton are both typically pretty solid teams in that NCAA tournament conference winning conversation. That said, Auburn with the returners they have, Ansari, Arsenault, Ovunk, Flack, obviously the sophomores as well, Bennett, Okatoye, Carnicella. Like that group has some experience. There's some urgency for them to win right now as well. And look, you could argue they're the more experienced group than Duke. Duke with Kimchi, the freshman in the lineup. Katie kind of sophomore at four, but she didn't play much last season. And then again, Schwetz and Bryce Golova last year, they were kind of the luxuries. This year, you don't have Chloe back to lean on. You don't have the, sh- you know, the sure thing, the anchor up top. They're going to have to find four in different ways. The question I have about Duke as we approach the region, Jay, are they the underdogs heading into this weekend? Yeah, they absolutely are. And, you know, when Coach Caroline Lilly of Auburn chose Duke, maybe she knew something that Coach Ashworth didn't know, and that was that Chloe Beck nor Daria Freeman were going to show up on campus in Durham because at first it seemed like a really bold choice to go to Duke because they had a lot of options still left on the table. Now the script has turned. This Auburn team is the favorite on paper. They should definitely get through this Duke team, a Duke team that got by Illinois, doesn't look that good at this point in the season. And we've also seen this Duke team struggle in indoors. They got knocked off by Oklahoma in 2022, the year Oklahoma went on to make the indoor final. So Auburn is the favorite, and I think they have a more experienced group. They have seniors and fifth years throughout, whether it's Ansari, Arsenault, Ovunk. Both Arsenault and Ovunk looked good in their matches against UNC as well. Arsenault pushing Reese Brantmeyer to a third set 10-point tiebreaker. Ovunk knocking off Abby Forbes. Duke has a lot to prove here. And, I mean, I think the top eight debate for Duke has kind of sailed. But if Auburn wants it, they absolutely need to make indoors. I don't know if Duke beats this Auburn team, because again, there's a version. What if we get the 2020 version of Schwetz this year? What if we get the best version of Bryce Glover, who was a top 70 player in the country? Obviously, again, with everything that happened with the Ivy League, all everything those two have been through, there are obviously some extenuating circumstances. But on paper, they still have a really talented top six for Duke. And I do think if they play to the best of their abilities— 
this is a team that can be in the top eight conversation. This is a team that, again, you look beyond Virginia in the ACC this year and NC State. I apologize. Beyond those two, like uh, Virginia, excuse me, UNC and NC State. There we go. Um, like typically, if you've been the third place team in the ACC, you're in the top eight hunt. And I think Duke still looks at Virginia and all the other, you know, Miami's, the Georgia Techs, all the other teams in this conference and says, no, we can still beat you with the six we have. And you want to convince us that you can do that, go beat Auburn this weekend at home because Auburn is a team that absolutely is knocking on the door of top eight status. And again, we got some questions about this Duke roster, certainly given the absences we see in their roster. That said, you picking the upset, Jay, final thoughts on this region, you going Auburn or Duke? I am going Auburn. I think you are really stretching the imagination to think we're going to get the 2020 version of a Brianna Schwetz, a Brianna Schwetz who just lost 6-1, to Illinois at number six. I, it's not happening. So I lean Auburn here, and it would be a big disappointment for Auburn to not get through this sure. given the whole, the expectations they have this season. Yeah, by the way, you know, again, it's first month of the season. I'm allowed to dream. And right now, according to the ITA rankings, Auburn number 14, Duke number 15. So by that metric, they would be favored to advance. Speaking of that ACC foe, Virginia, let's go to their region now. Look, we've seen them play a few matches this year. Nothing against elite competition. They might get that in in their regional as they host Georgia Tech, Wisconsin, and Texas Tech. Maybe not elite competition. That might be a bit hyperbolic, but certainly a real test across their lineup. And look again, the big shakeup as it relates to the Virginia lineup. Annabelle Shue has started this season at the number one spot. Now, she's obviously healthy in a way she hasn't been last season, but Shue one, Shake two, Subash three is not what I would have anticipated to start this season, yet that's the way they're rolling things out. Ziodato 4, Chervinsky 5, Melody Collard at 6. Meanwhile, the other teams in this region, again, Georgia Tech, uh, who had a rough opening two weekends of January, Wisconsin, waiting for them to be tested by an elite competition. They'll certainly get good looks here this weekend. And then a Texas Tech squad that, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they lost to Abilene Christian. Was it them? Was it the men who lost to Abilene Christian? It was the men. It was the men. Someone in Texas Tech lost to Abilene Christian. I apologize. It wasn't the women. It was the men. How many times do you think ACU is going to get a shout-out on this season? Because they're getting a lot of shout-outs. I think we should have them on for our NCAA analysis, where it's just like, look, you've played the top teams. You tell us (laughs) who was good, who wasn't, because you've seen them all. Um, Yeah, Jay shook his head, by the way, to say, you know what? That's not a terrible idea. It is something that's floating in my brain. So, coaches, you know where to find me, at A.L. Gruskin. Anyways... I just want to know how good this Virginia team is. Like, are they top eight good? Are Certainly feels like on paper they're top 16 good. But if they go out and they blitz Texas Tech 4-0 or 4-1, if they come out and they blitz two teams in Wisconsin and Georgia Tech, who I think we both assume are top 25 teams this year. And by the way, right now, uh, Wisconsin sitting at 24 in the rankings. Georgia Tech having fallen out, obviously, after their loss this past week. This is a good litmus test for the ceiling of the who's, in my opinion. I guess my question is, what is that ceiling? And I think we're going to get to see it unfold. Yeah, that would be my answer. I mean, it's been a very quiet season for Virginia, and I include the fall in that respect because you didn't have big runs from a Subosh or Travinsky now playing. She didn't play in the fall. It's been very quiet for this Virginia team, and it was kind of a – 
lukewarm year last year uh, for them. So this is going to tell us a lot about them because the reality is that they should get through. And if they want to be a top 10 team this year, they should get through pretty comfortably. This is on paper definitely not a very difficult region relative to some of the other regions that we've been talking about. So I think we'll get Wisconsin versus UVA in that second round. I do think UVA gets through this. And I think we'll probably be having a very similar conversation about UVA when we talk about indoors because we'll still learn a lot more about it. Again, just been quiet from them. Huge potential sliding doors moment. If Wisconsin can go into Charlottesville this weekend and get wins over Georgia Tech and UVA for the Big Ten to have a non-Michigan Ohio State team get two ACC wins and, by the way, get a third team to the national indoors to just boost everything else. Wisconsin's been knocking on the door of a win like this for a while. And to your point, it's been a it's been a meandering course for Virginia of late. A steady pathway, but not one again, not many highs and lows. It's been just a straight, you know, again, straight path. The tram, dare I say, in the airport that takes you from one stop to the other. That's been Virginia of late. Solid top sixteen stop. They're who you have to overcome to get to that final hurdle. Again. Great litmus test for both. Jay has taken the who's. That is not, unfortunately, a region we will have. We will have both Texas and Duke, just to clarify on that. And we'll have this final team in the host with questions to answer as well. That final team, Ohio State. Ohio State getting a 4-3 win over Oklahoma in Norman on Friday. They also drop a tough 1-4-1 against Oklahoma State, but take the doubles point in Stillwater on Sunday. Why is this in the host with questions to answer? Well, it's because if you have three freshmen in your starting lineup, I still got questions about what your upside looks forward. And did I really like the debuts of each of their freshmen? Am I already starting the Taya Chavez bandwagon? You absolutely bet I am. It wasn't just her, by the way. Luciana Perry getting a win uh, over Florencia Ruscia. Three sets in Norman. You have Audrey Spencer as well. She's at the number two spot with Arena Contos in doubles, as well as six singles. Why do I have questions about that lineup? Well, I think that round one match against Notre Dame is a sneaky, exceptional round one match because Paige Freeman, Julia Andreich, Yashna Yalai, Carrie Beckman, that's some real experience for Ohio State to be tested against right away. And look, they're in Columbus. Ohio State doesn't lose in Columbus very frequently. At times, they look like the best team in the country when they play in Columbus. But it's a real test right out of the gates, and I'm excited to see how the freshmen respond. Yeah, you want to see how they respond after that weekend, which had high highs and low lows as well. And so it's just tough to see this Ohio State team losing on those fast courts in Columbus. But I will say Arizona State also in this region facing Kansas in the other match on paper. And again, I think this is an Ohio State team on paper does absolutely not reflect the level. I mean, Taya Chavez, Audrey Spencer uh, are way better than any of these ratings would convey them to be. But ASU should clean sweep basically positions four, five, and six. But it's really tough to see ASU coming into these fast indoor hard courts and doing that to Ohio State. But I think we'll be asking these questions about Ohio State because we were really impressed in that opening weekend. And so you want to see, okay, is that really this level for all three of those freshmen? How volatile are they? Which ones are maybe more steady? Are we going to see other players factor into that lineup? So 
this is a team we'll be watching closely throughout, and it starts here at kickoff weekend. I also think in terms of first-round opponents, Notre Dame is tougher for Ohio State than Arizona State is for Kansas. And who knows? Ohio State gets pushed to a 4-3 result on match number one. Now all of a sudden you play maybe a better rested Arizona State. It's a tough back-to-back for freshmen who might not have experienced that before. Not just the physical recovery. I think they'll be fine there. But the mental recovery is the hard part. It's an interesting region. Who you got? I lean Ohio State. Okay, I like sure. it. Buckeyes. It's just really hard to see a non-indoor team like Arizona State coming in and taking them out. Notre Dame probably, as even though they're not as talented as this Ohio uh, Arizona State team, that experience, their indoor prowess, but I lean Ohio State. All right, seven regions in. Jay has three upsets. He has USC coming out of Tennessee. He's got Auburn coming out of Duke. He's got... Um, excuse me, two upsets. That's yeah, I was going to say, I think I just have two. Said three, I meant two. USC, uh, yes. No, 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 three. USC, Oklahoma State, that's the one we forgot. That's technically not an upset by ranking, but they're at o- Iowa State, so that is a host site being knocked off, Jay. So technically, if yeah, we go no. by the Constitution, I am correct. I didn't have it in my list, but yeah, you're yeah, right. You can, you I, can, I, you can, you can take it to the Supreme Court. That seems to be the new fad uh, nowadays. All right. These next categories, we're going to move through more quickly. This next one, I have three teams, and it's called A Match Worth Watching. I'm happy to make the case for why this match is worth watching if you disagree with me, Jay. But first in this category, I have Florida. Florida hosting Wake Forest, San Diego, and FIU. How is that Florida-San Diego perspective second-round match? No disrespect to the Demon Deacons, but I just think San Diego, who gets a win over A&M in weekend number one of the season, like they are one of those most dangerous floaters. By the way, have we seen them go to a host site and win? We have. They did it last year, winning the Cal region. Florida's got a lot of experience, a lot of depth. We talked about some of the interesting parts. I guess it was probably off camera, but De Oliveira at the number one spot for them. And you look beyond that, Briggs at two, Galis three, Dahlstrom four, Lopez five, Dudney six. Same thing we saw from them against Baylor. It's an interesting lineup against a very – I mean, again, we're doing some – projecting here if wake wins i still think that second round is interesting but san diego gets the benefit of the doubt with the a&m win it's a match worth watching is it not oh absolutely i mean i think these teams are pretty even in the fact that they have i mean that florida uh, lineup is like names picked out of a hat it's like totally jumbled from what you would expect but i think san diego is very much in that vein as well a lot of those players one through four maybe even one through five are very similar matchups so you feel like these lineups aren't baked this early in the season and you could see a few wins happening surprisingly so i'm excited to see that one i do think florida gets through though i think they've looked pretty good to start the season they will be a part of our espn plus coverage on our youtube channel will be the michigan women who are, should be significant favorites to advance. And I think this is the one where pre-show Jay said he disagreed with me having them in this category. But then I explained his reasoning, and he said, oh, okay, that makes more sense. And I will say that reasoning once again now. I want to see Arkansas play. I like the pieces. And look, internally, that roster fought really hard. So that Tucker Clary, a young assistant who might otherwise have been overlooked in looking for a new head coach for this job, they wanted him to be the one to guide them. And 
that those sorts of things matter to me. It matters in this sport where chemistry, camaraderie, energy, so consequential. And look, this team has some chemistry built up over time. We know the pieces. Gomez Alonso had a really good fall. The sophomore, obviously, one of the best freshmen in the country last year. Kelly Keller, we know. Indiana Spink, we know. Lenka Stara, we know. Morgan Cross, we know. Casey Harvey, we know. We know these pieces, and if they're ever going to get a signature victory, kickoff weekend at Michigan, they will have had it circled for six months since the kickoff weekend draft happened. Do I expect Michigan to overlook the match? I absolutely do not, especially given the fact that they did lose last weekend to Oklahoma State. Makes it that much more important, even if their schedule is really nice this year. Makes it that much more important for them to get back because that group thinks they are good enough to win the National Indoor Championship, given what they've accomplished over the last 18 months. It's a match worth watching, Jay. Do you not agree? Yeah, I had the same conversation with myself when I was coming <laughs> up with these lists, so I definitely understand. I think the problem here for Arkansas is any upset or statement win runs through a Carolina Alonzo Gomez win at one and I just don't think she gets it over Kari Miller on her home courts. Now, they have to circle at this point. I think Jaden Brown's down to four. So circle four, or circle six, those are two you need. I just think they would have to get one. And I think Kari Miller is going to be too tough. Now, by the way, Lily Jones at six, freshman Piper Charney at five, as you mentioned, Jaden Brown at four, Galamasa Chirito at the number three spot. Jay picking the Wolverines to advance. Last but not least in this category, I think Pepperdine has to be in here. Pepperdine making their season debut. Obviously, you look at the lineup they submitted for uh, the Waves. They have Zar at one, Brodus two, Chen three, Redlick four, Campania five, Vivian Young at the number six spot. Why are they in this category? It's because I really think LSU's roster is fascinating. The fact that they've got, you know this, Jay. You've been LSU curious since the moment Fogelman made the move. Deckers, Garcia, Sajeva at four. You could talk me into that. Maya Tahan at five. Okay. Like, I just want to see it. Again, like, we haven't seen the waves at all. So why do they get the, again, like, Zara's back. But now it's time to flex what that means to this lineup. I guess that's why I want to see it. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see Pepperdine in action, too, now that Zara's back. But I care less about one and two for Pepperdine because you know those are going to be solid sure. and just th- three through six, right? I've talked about this before. The Janice Chen backslide, I think, is real. And so if that that needs to stop for them, otherwise that could be a point on the board for LSU. Redlick and Campania have both looked really solid, but they're moving up. We haven't seen Redlick reliably play at number four, now Campania at five. And we haven't seen any of you know Vivian Yang in a dual match. So yeah, there's absolutely interest there. LSU is a fiery team. Keena Graham, one of the best freshmen that we saw in the fall. So there's experience, there's talent on the LSU team. And it'll be interesting if it happens in Malibu. But I do think the waves get through. 4 1, 4 2, what are you going with? I go 4 1 feels about right. Yeah, that feels about I feel like that would be the line if that sort of thing existed in college tennis. All right, last category. See you in Seattle. Simply put, you tell me what interests you most about this region, if anything, Jay. These are the locks I have to advance to the National Indoors. Let's start with the four-time defending champion, UNC Tar Heels of the National Indoor event. Of course, reigning NCAA champs as well. They host Charlotte, Kentucky, Oregon. Anything for me, Jay? Well, former uh, Courtney Nagel, the head coach of Oregon, spent four seasons at North Carolina as an assistant coach there, I think 2014 to 2018. So that's a fun storyline. 
a lineup note, Elizabeth Scotty at five's joke for <laughs> North Carolina. She should not be below uh, Annika Yarlagada. Like I said, coach is getting very creative with these lineups nowadays. But yeah, I mean, North Carolina, we can see them in Seattle. It's probably going to be. A, I, I wonder if we will see Yarlagada at all this weekend, uh, given we just haven't yet in the month of January. Texas A&M next up on the list. They've got TCU, Rice, Northwestern. I'll tell you what I want to see from this one. I want to see Janet Morales get two wins. That'd be massive. Just for her confidence at that number six spot or whoever it is at six for A&M. Get some wins down low. Build some confidence there, obviously, with the big matches coming up. What do you want to see from the Aggies this weekend? Oh, I was actually going to go TCU. I think it's time for the TCU women to have a better season. Their men's program consistently been in the top 10 for like 10 years straight at this point. It's not happening for the TCU women. It's time that they step up. And I think it's a very winnable match against Rice. At least go one and one out of this Texas A&M region. So I'm actually more curious to see that TCU Rice match. A&M rolls regardless. And I like your pick about Morales. I'd go Morales and Smetanikov. They should be wanting to get off the court first. The Northwestern match in a different era would be fascinating. Just throwing that out there. And so, again, Northwestern uh, gets a look at a top 10 dog. That used to happen far more frequently for the Wildcats. Next lock, NC State Wolfpack. They look good against SMU. This weekend, they're hosting Iowa, Clemson, Alabama. I will say Alabama's got a solid squad. Like, I have always liked, and I got to watch them a lot last year in calling their matches, but Ludmilla Ben-Sheik, Sadlakova, Heiser down low in the lineup, Peacock as well. Like, it's a real test. It's not. It's no cakewalk for NC State. That said, it feels like a 4-1-4-1 sort of weekend for the Wolfpack. Jay, what are you most interested in seeing? Uh, Coach Earnshaw versus Boomer. Yeah, rematch sure. of rematch. the quarterfinals NCAAs. Now that assumes Clemson gets by Iowa in that first round. But yeah, Alabama's a frisky team. So, you know, they could pop up in a few different positions, particularly because this NC State team is rolling out a lot of players who haven't seen that much action over the past few years, whether it's freshmen Zampardo, Zeranova, who else? Um, I don't, is past. Gakis in the top six right now? I don't think so. Right okay. now, I look for NC State. She's seven, but in the doubles line of Broadfoot, how about? Hasn't seen yeah. a ton of run. Yeah, exactly. So she's new as well. So, yeah, it's not the NC State team that we saw last year, but they should get through comfortably. Yeah, and again, they're in my lock category, but certainly, again, four quality teams in that region. Then last but not least, you will be in Stanford, uh, at Stanford on Saturday to watch their f- – Final, excuse me, they're hosting Maryland, UNLV, Colorado. I guess they're presumed final, should they get through Colorado. Most interesting thing in that region, Jay, what are you looking for from the Cardinal? Uh, I will be at this regional on Saturday. It's probably like the least interesting regional to me of like any, like I'm like grasping at straws for storylines. Uh, I'm excited to see a few of the Stanford pieces in person. You know, Colorado actually on the women's side had a, few really good wins last season. Maryland has a few top players who are pretty consistently in the top 50 and UNLV is frisky within their conference. But yeah, Stanford should roll. And I'm excited to see the Stanford doubles. I think they need to get that figured out before indoors. Fair enough. You know, two people who I know, I just, I'm all in on their ethos, their energy, two coaches who I, I just think will continue to have success at some point. Katie Doherty at Maryland, been very open about that. 
I also really like Anthony Pham at Colorado. Like he, the energy he brings, the the passion he brings. Again, it's it's going to be a fun region. The the tennis is going to be energetic. It's going to be inspiring. Even the non-Stanford matches, because I do think from a talent perspective, the delta is pretty large. That's all 15 regions, folks. That's your look at the ceremonial symbolic start to the 2024 college tennis season, the 2024 ITA women's kickoff weekend. Before we go, Jay, we got one more thing to do for the first time in this 2024 regular season. Let's talk rankings. Let's start with the official rankings on the ITA side. UNC 1, Stanford 2, no movement there. Oklahoma State, though, they're up to that number three spot. Georgia 4, Michigan 5. Coaches go Pepperdine at the number 6 spot. NC State 7, Florida 8, A&M down at number 9 now. Texas, despite their loss to UCLA short players, they're now at 10, Virginia 11. For what it's worth, the other big movers, UCLA sitting at 12. Again, San Diego now up to number 20. Vanderbilt down to number 25. UCF up to 23. Thoughts on the coaches' rankings before I unveil our own? Well, I love you emphasize Pepperdine up to six like they didn't just move up because Texas moved down after yeah. losing to UCLA. Like, not that you big say they a... haven't even played. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's some of the funny stuff on social media, like up to six. And it's like, well, okay, uh, you have not played a match. Um, yeah, I thought this was right. I thought Oklahoma State should absolutely move up after beating Michigan and Ohio State. Everything else felt right. I think it's an injustice that... Vanderbilt is still in those rankings and SMU is still not ranked in the top 25. Let's give some love there to SMU. Other than that, not many notes. All right. Well, then with that said, are you ready to hear our top 10, Jay? Yes. This is the one I'm more excited for. All right. That's what I like to hear again. Six of us voted on this. I have the compilation of those votes. Now, do you want me to go one to 10 or 10 to one? I think we should go 10 to one. Okay, do the unveiling. That's how a realist goes. And I'm not going to name all the teams for how it works. We all submit our top 15 so that ties, whatever, can be sussed out most accurately. Our math wizard, Chris Halliorce, has informed us that's the most accurate way to do it. We here choose not to question the professor when it comes to his realm of expertise. Number 10, Jay, in our Cracked Rackets rankings, Florida Gators coming at the number 10 spot. Number 9 in our Cracked Rackets rankings. The Auburn Tigers. Number eight, we're sticking with the theme. SEC here, Jay. Texas A&M, our number eight squad. Number seven in the Cracked Rackets poll, we have Pepperdine. Number six in the Cracked Rackets poll, we have Michigan. Number five in the Cracked Rackets poll, we have Georgia. This is going to be the big shocker. Number four in our Cracked Rackets poll, NC State, the big mover, up to the number four spot. Number three, Oklahoma State. Number two, Stanford. And our unanimous number one, UNCJ. The moment I said NC State at four. Honestly, the moment I said Michigan at six, you made a face. I want you to know the margins between four and six, two points. Two points amongst our six voters. Very small delta in the margins there. I mean, again... Thoughts on our first week's Cracked Racket Top 10? You know, we have six people voting here. (laughs) And so we didn't used to have anyone else other than you and me voting in these regular season rankings. So it's much easier to suss (laughs) out where there could be some chaos. But 
I mean, come on, NC State at four. I want you to know someone in our poll had NC State as high as three and they above had to. Oklahoma State. That had to have been a mistake. Come on, eject them. Eject them. <laughs> Throw them out. You know what we should do, actually? We should do what the ITA coaches poll does. I would like to institute a new role. Throw out the highest and lowest for Throw everyone? the highest and the lowest. Oh! We can't have people voting NC State at number three below Oklahoma State. It is. I will. I can't be part of these sort of rankings if that's going to happen. <laughs> That's my new proposition. We should institute uh, that. Get the math I'm wizard gonna, on it. I'm not going to change the integrity of our poll. We stand by the work this week. I am going to change. What if I change NC State and Oklahoma State in said person's rankings? If I do that, then it goes NC State still at number four by one point. The tie we had beneath that remains. So it actually didn't change anything. But that is very funny. I mean, again, don't hate the player, Jay. Hate the game. We got six voters. This is what we stand by. We're a team. I will say the tie was Georgia and Michigan. Tied for that number five spot, both 63 points in our poll. So that I don't get accused of bias, I broke this tie and put Georgia at five and Michigan at six. Do you want to unveil? Do you want me to say yours in my top tens? Do we want to do that here? I'm fine with a little oh, transparency. Sure. Yeah, you, yeah. I went, I'll go yours first. UNC, you went UNC 1, Stanford 2, Oklahoma State 3, Georgia 4, Michigan 5, NC State 6. You went Pepperdine 7, A&M 8, Auburn 9, Florida 10. We have the same 10 schools, just a different order. I went UNC 1. I went Oklahoma State 2. Uh, you just I know Stanford got the win over A&M. Oklahoma State got wins over Michigan and Ohio State. The most impressive weekend we've seen from anyone to date. Stanford 3. I went Georgia 4, Michigan 5, NC State 6. I'm not going to penalize Georgia for losing to UNC, Michigan for losing a tight match with third sets against Oklahoma State. Yeah, we have the same order there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, only I have Oklahoma State 2. Well, yeah, 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 but yeah of but those, those next teams three, you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. Then I went, this is our last disagreement. I went A&M 7, Pepperdine 8, just because, again, Pepperdine hasn't played yet. I'm not going to penalize A&M for losing to Stanford. Auburn what about nine. penalizing them for losing to San Diego? Oh, yeah. I probably should have done that more. <laughs> no, but they didn't have Stoyana. No, that's Stoyana. That's, that's definitely that, the caveat. That's, that, yep. that's what it was. Thank you for the memory. Um, Pepperdine 8, Auburn 9, Florida 10. And yep. I don't. by the way, I'll go all the way down. I went Ohio State 11, Oklahoma 12, UCLA 13, San Diego 14, Texas 15. It's interesting that you don't penalize Texas A&M that much, but you really reward San Diego. Yeah, I just again it it was a ma- it was a, a win that puts them on the map. It's just that has to matter compared to the the delta of results. I mean, we just haven't seen any results, and it's just like that is a significant win compared to everything else we've seen. And at this point, it's a top sixteen win in a way like no one else has, and so you should have a spot in in my honorable mention, not a top ten spot, but a shot a shot in my honorable mention over a, a all due respect to Duke, who like yeah you beat SMU, but come on now, like I. I just need a little bit more out of you. If we were playing good win, bad loss, this San Diego Texas A&M match would be good win, good loss. Yeah. As far as you're concerned. <laughs> well, I don't know about if it was a good loss, but we could save that discussion. It was a Stoyana list loss, which again, in my ranking criteria, qualifies a little bit differently. That said, 
That's our top 10. Again, to go through it more quickly here, number one, UNC, two, Stanford, three, Oklahoma State, four, NC State, hold for J applause, five, Georgia, six, Michigan, seven, Pepperdine, eight, A&M, nine, Auburn, 10, Florida. I got no problems with it. I stand by it as we head into kickoff weekend. And again, we're going to have a lot of coverage for you over the course of the next five days here at Cracked Rackets. Men's kickoff weekend preview coming tomorrow with Chris Halliors here on the Great Shot podcast feed. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday broadcasts on both our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel as well as ESPN+. Plus. We're back on ESPN+, Plus as Monday as well for the Georgia men's finals. So if you're a college tennis fan, make sure you're tuning in. Let's validate college tennis is a sport fans watch to the ESPN powers that be would appreciate all of you who do take the time to enjoy our broadcast. John J. Parsons, any final thoughts before we get to kickoff weekend? Any bold men's predictions you need to share with us before we go or things you need to plug, by the way? Well, I have a few things to say. One, I think you're going to get roasted on social media when you publish these rankings, <laughs> uh, rightfully so. Two, look, I totally want to echo the sentiment on the ESPN Plus. It was so fantastic to just turn on ESPN Plus, toggle between the Australian Open, listening to you on the Oklahoma State matches, you know, get the multiple devices out there. You know, you got the laptop, you know, iPad folks, get all of those things upstreaming ESPN Plus. And yeah, you know, more to come on the No Ad No Problem podcast. I love to hear it, my friend. Well, uh, again, Tune in to No Ad No Problem if you're not already. Tune in to all things we do here at Cracked Rackets throughout the course of kickoff weekend as you don't want to miss any of the action from the symbolic ceremonial start to the 2024 college tennis season. Of course, the reason we're going to be able to do all these things because of the tireless effort of our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who, as always, has a f- of an ending job to do day in, day out. A shout out to him. A shout out, as always, as well to all of you fans. We hope you are all excited for the start of a new year. We appreciate you you trusting us to provide this sort of coverage we promise we will do our best to not let you down with that said for the fantastic john j parsons our super producer daniel westoff our and all of us here excuse me at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners hey great shot and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone